Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you as well by providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are in your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Good morning, everybody. Today is Merry Christmas Eve day, and it's a sunny day in South Florida. It's a cold day in Texas, and wherever else we have people joining us this morning. Dr. Tim said it's good night, so I don't know where in the world he is. But welcome, welcome. We have a very special Christmas Eve program. We're featuring mothers and daughters, and happens to be granddaughters. We've got three generations here. The fourth is in watching The Grinch. And I'm so excited because in this time of pandemic and social isolation and distancing, most families aren't together. And I am very fortunate to have my mom and my dad about 10 minutes away. My daughter and her two kids came in from Texas for a few days, and it's really been a great week. It's been crazy. Let me tell you now what's happening in the Montgomery Butts Johnson brand family. This past week, my mom and dad... I'm just going to in. Mom, it's Gwen Kennedy, but mom and dad have been married for 65 years. They've been together for 70. <laughs> Unbelievable. Welcome, Mom. You there? Yes, I am, Debbie. Thank you. Good right, morning sweetie. to everybody. My mom's darling. She and dad have been together for a long time. And this past week, my father decided to take a short vacation at the local hospital after hitting his hard head on a harder fence. And he actually bent the fence. And the day before we were supposed to close on a brand new home for my mom and dad, dad decided he wanted to take a vacation and not do the move. I'm just being <laughs> kidding. I'm just not being serious here. But he did actually have a fall and ended up in neurology ICU for about four or five days. And it was scary for all of us. And one of those things that with a 91-year-old, you don't want to actually have them in a hospital, especially during COVID time. But Pop pulled through it after a few days of fun with the nurses and a little bit of flirting at the end, and that's when I knew he was back to his normal old self. And we got them moved while he was in the hospital, which was the best thing we could have done because we got to put things where we wanted to put them, thinking that Dad might like where we put them, and he did. So we got through that, and in the middle of that, my daughter Jenny flies in from Dallas with her two kids, and it has been fun except for swimming in 72 degrees water degree water temperatures, 72 degrees water yesterday. We didn't do it, obviously. The kids did it. Jenny comes to us right now from outside of Dallas, and she is my one and only beautiful daughter. I have lovely daughter-in-laws. My one and only beautiful daughter brought two of my wonderful grandchildren here. And Jen Jen, are you there? I am. Morning. And she's, she's here and so excited to have her. They've only heard this show from afar, if at all. And so because it's my show, I get to have the guests I want, and I decided that today it's family day. So it's a little interesting um, when I was planning this show what I wanted to do because I really felt like it was time that we have the generation speak up about how different or how similar it might be being a mother, a woman in today's life versus when my mom raised us, uh, our, her kids 60-something years ago. So it's a conversation. And I'm going to start with mom because okay. I want to hear from a wow woman. And I call her that because she is a woman of wisdom. And she's been through a lot of life. And so mom, 
very briefly, what do you think has been your proudest day in your lifetime? My proudest days in my lifetime were probably having my four wonderful children, three boys and a girl, and the girl is Debbie. So we're very proud of our kids, and I think that was, after marrying my wonderful husband of 65 years, that was number one, and the two is all the kids. Well, thank you very much for including me, because that's fun. But what I want to do, because Stand Up and Speak Up is a show about talking about some things that, you know, might have hurt us in the past, and we've risen from that past. You just brought up getting married to Dad. And I remember hearing the stories about your wedding and who and who were not there. So I know this has been a difficult issue in your lifetime, but we've talked about it a bunch, and I want you to tell everybody, what happened with your mother when you and Daddy got married? Well, Jack and I went together for five years, and he was in graduate school. He had one more year to go, and my mother decided that I should not get married until my husband had a job because my, my dad had a, a nice job. So she said, no, I will not go. I talked to my dad, and my dad said, go get married, but go talk to your grandparents, which I did, and my aunts and uncles, and they all said, go get married. So we went, mar- we went and got married at a lovely church in Philadelphia. All of our friends were there. Jack's mother was there, with, and Peggy and her husband, his sister. And we had a lovely wedding at the Broad Street Methodist Church, and then went back to Mom's house and had a nice reception small but all of our friends were there and that's what happened mother refused and um, my mother was a very pretty very bright lady she wanted her own way and everybody in the family knew it so they all said Gwen you and Jack have gone together very long you've so happy together go get married and we did and 65 years later we're still here and mom how did that make you feel though I was very sad, but I was very, very happy because we loved each other and as we knew each other very, very well, and it was time either to break up or get married. We got married. Did that change your relationship with Grandma? For a few years, yes. In what but ways? In what ways? Uh, she would talk about it and say, why did you do that, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so that, therefore, I just decided that, you know, we had to forget it. And so we got married very happily, and we went back home to see Mom and Dad, and uh, they had a, a few of our relatives that knew that we were getting married. They had them there, and uh, that was very nice. And then we left for Philadelphia, where we had a small apartment, and Jack finished his senior year in graduate school, and I went to work. And what were you doing? With what, what? What did you do as a job? I was in personnel at the Atlantic Refining in Philadelphia, and Atlantic Refining had given Jack a scholarship to go to school. His dad had died, and so they gave him a job every summer so that uh, he could finish school. And that so made us very happy. Do you remember how much you got paid back then? <laughs> I got paid $72.50 a week. $72 a week. Seventy-two fifty a week, and every every month we paid our rent. I can't quite remember how much we paid. I can't quite remember how much uh, we paid in rent, but we were very we were very happy to be in this little tiny place right on was it Broad Street, honey? Walnut Street in Philadelphia, which was probably one of the busiest traffic traffic places in the whole Philadelphia. But that was fine. We were there for not quite a year. And uh, then we went out and stayed with Jack's mother for a few months. And then we went up to uh, Vermont where my dear Jack had a job uh, with the United States Air Force. And we were up there for a few years. And that's that's where John and I came along. Up John in Burlington, Vermont. Right, right. Way back when. Well, that, we that's kind of that's kind of we cool. It's really, I'm sorry, Mom. It was really no, interesting we were, that your wedding was. I have a picture of you and Dad, um, and you were an absolutely beautiful bride. Thank you. And I remember when we were planning uh, my wedding to Jenny's dad, to Lou, and I was married up in Vermont, and it was in 1984, and Grandma was at my wedding. And I recall her walking down the aisle like she was the queen mum. 
just waving to everybody. I think she was probably living vicariously, you know, reliving right. yours, reliving hers, reliving mine. It was really lovely um, to see her do that because that she she was the star of that of that show. I think at least at the beginning of the wedding. No, and, um, <laughs> and it was a big wedding, and and I certainly appreciated that. Um, and it's interesting for our audience just to let you know, mom and dad have been married 65 years, together 70 years. I was married to, to my first husband before he passed away for almost 26 years. And um, then he died, and I've been able to get remarried. So we've got a family that's been married for a long time, one that was married for somewhat of a long time and then lost to death, and then I've remarried. And then I have my beautiful daughter, Jenny, and Jenny's on. Jenny had a, Jenny, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Because <laughs> we're going to move into Jenny, because Jenny's life is a little bit different, because Jenny has been married, but she's a single mom now. And so we, are, we have every sort of situation going on in our little family here. And Jenny, welcome from Texas. Hello. Thank you for being here. Um, Jen, what's the proudest moment in your life so far? Um, probably, I think it's little moments for me, little moments of victory. I know the moments that I'm the most proud and where I feel the happiest is when I actually see Seth and Ella, my two kids, actually playing nicely together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's makes me feel like I'm doing something right when they are laughing and giggling and using their imaginations. Um I tend to think that I'm a pretty strict parent, but easygoing at the same time. So it's nice when those easy moments come and they're playing and being happy. But I think another like personal victory of mine is just being able to go from a situation where I was stay-at-home mom and now I'm a full-time working mom. So being able to take care of myself and the kids um, almost completely on my own. I know I get help from you, mom, and from CJ, but... I'm proud that I've been able to kind of bounce back and stand on my own two feet. Well, I'm very proud of you because that situation was not something of your own making, which is what the introduction to my show is. Sometimes things happen to us, but they could happen for us and for our benefit. And we're trying, and I think you're doing a great job seeing the positive uh, out of most of the situation because I know it's very difficult. And I, I honor you for doing what you're doing on your own um, and hanging in there because there are some days when I get that phone call and it's mom and then silence and I'm thinking okay she doesn't need me to give her advice right now she and I've heard this you just needed me to listen to let me feel my feelings I think was once I said (laughs) yeah and that's tough because as a as a you know as a mom you want to be able to control and take care of and I've, I'm learning through you and through Grandma and Grandpa that I can control some things, but some things I just have to let go, you know, and let you all live through them. And that's tough. So, Jenin, what have you learned by being a single mom? What's, what's one thing that you've learned by being a single mom that might be difficult but might have been easier than you thought? i got to learn to prioritize what's most important. I can't do everything on my own, but I can do some things. Um, and I've learned for me that if I have a, a pretty good routine, then it makes life predictable for me and the kids, and it makes it easier to manage and to go about the daily ups and downs. But trying to find a constant that we can lean on, um, because there will be ebbs and flows. So it's, one, trying to find that routine where... I'm able to take care of myself first and then take care of Sethanella because I can't be a good mom if I'm not taking care of myself. And Very good also, idea. Um, being able to ask for help, it's kind of a hard thing. Um, I'm always the giver. I like helping people. But for some reason, it, it's always hard for me to ask for help. I don't. It's this weird mental shift I guess for I guess givers where we're like no we're supposed to be the ones giving when it's our turn we're like stubborn as a mule um but I I just realized my limitations and that I can't do it on my own um and so being able to find those people who I can actually rely on who will show up for me I think it's moments where 
that are really hard that you see the people who are actually there for you at all times, um, no matter what. So I think those are some of the biggest lessons. And then you mentioned earlier being able to understand what you can and can't control because there's plenty that I can't control. But (laughs) what I can control is how I react and how I respond and how I treat other people. So that's what I tell my kids, even if someone's mean to me, doesn't mean I should be mean and nasty back to them. Because, I mean, I, Seth and Ella have seen my emotions before when things haven't been going well. I don't hide my emotions from them, but I make sure they aren't feeling like they have to console me. I tell them, like, I explain what I'm feeling, and they're like, well, what happened? And I don't tell them because they're little, but being able to show them that feeling those feelings are okay and then how we respond to them really matters. And so finding healthy ways to respond and move forward. And so I'm real grateful for my therapist and for family and friends who are there for me. Well, and also you do a lot of exercise. So I think do you find your, your outlet through running or working out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I just wrote down here before you said something about asking for help. I wrote the question, ask for help. Because I know that the women in our family are very self-sufficient and don't usually like to ask someone to help them, i.e., yesterday I was moving bookshelves, which were very heavy, out to the yard to you know, get taken away by the trash, and I did it with by myself and think, why am I doing this? Except I had that mission to get that carport cleaned off so the trash guys could haul that crap away today. Well, my 62-year-old shoulders are wondering why in the world I did that yesterday. But it's an interesting thing about that word help. Mom, how do I treat you when you come into my home every time you say, what can I do to help? And what's my response? Mom, sit down and relax. (laughs) You've always been helping everybody. I love to help people. And uh, therefore, excuse me. And when Jen was saying she needed help and who would she talk to, when we moved to Vermont, I had one elderly lady and one middle-aged lady that took me under their, their wing. The elderly lady was Mrs. Um, we called her Muzz, and she lived two houses down from me. And she, she was actually my age now, my age, 86, and I was a young whippersnapper. And she was full of interesting things. And whenever I asked her for help, she would be right there. The second woman was Dorothy Roberts, who her husband was a veterinarian. And whenever I needed her, she was right there also. So I didn't call my mom or I didn't call, you know, anybody in the family because we were living in Vermont. And therefore, I had to have somebody that I could talk to. So I was very, very fortunate to have lots and lots of wonderful elderly friends. And it doesn't take many. I mean, it's nice to have some solid, one or two solid friends. Like mm-hmm, right. on social media now, people think they have to have 5,000 friends or 25,000 followers, you know, but they're not friends. They're not the people that Jenny said that she would be able to call, pick up the phone mm-hmm. and call and know they were coming in to help you. Right? Exactly, exactly right. Although I have a couple of girls that I was in graded school. Now that's a long, long time ago and I still talk to them and they still are just fine. So we're happy to talk to each one another, and we have ideas for each of us, mm-hmm. uh, what we can do on certain things. So I've been blessed with lots of wonderful people like you. But that, that word help is a funny thing because I learned, um, and this comes from Women's Prosperity Network, when, you know, when we're talking about writing for, for business and things, the word help puts people on the, on the, it's not the defensive, but I know when someone says, do you need help? I'm like, oh, no, I don't need help. I, you know, I can do this myself. Well, as I told you when you come in, Mom, instead of saying, can I ask for help, I could say to you, Mom, would you mind setting the table for me? Or would you, would you do such and such? Rather than say help, because that will say, I'll say, nope, don't need any help. <laughs> it's a silly word. But think about it. If someone would say, how can I assist you? How, could I do this for you? Could I fold your laundry? Could I help make the beds? Could I take the kids out for, you know, for a sandwich or something? Mm-hmm. Rather than how can I help you? Did, that's why I went to the house this morning and did some work. Because <laughs> you didn't want to help me. You, you didn't want me to help you. <laughs> You're so silly. I would have well, been there. I think that's when we can realize what we can bring to the table. 
because when we're asking how can I help you, we're putting that back on the person who we're asking. Correct. And at least I know for me, when someone asks me, like, hey, do you need help with stuff? I'm like, I I don't know. (laughs) And so if we're able to look into that person's life, I mean, it could be limited what we know about them and be like, you know what? I can take their kids for a little bit. I'm sure they're tired and they need time to relax. Or, you know, maybe they're cooking a lot. I'm just going to bring them some food. Mm-hmm. And or hey, I have some free time. Can I help you, or can I come fold your laundry? And some might say sure. Others might be like, no, that's okay. It all depends on their level of being comfortable. Mm-hmm. But if we're able to see like this is what I can bring and this is what I'm going to offer, it makes it a lot person on that a lot easier on that person who you're asking if you can help them. Because if you just say, hey, how can I help? I know in that moment, I'm like, I, I don't know what I need right now. And well, so I remember, I remember we had a conversation, Jen, when I told you, just write a list of things that you might need assistance with. And then if somebody says, how can I help? Just pull out your, pull out your list. Yeah, but I'm tired. <laughs> like, that takes a lot of <laughs> mental effort. Like, just think about how, like, it's kind of, I kind of think of this, like, when it comes to honey-do lists in relationships like I know we joke about it with men you're like here's your honey-do list but how nice is it when someone just does something like you know what I noticed that let me take care of it there you go it's so much more appreciated when someone considers what they can bring to the table whether it's in a relationship a friendship whatever a neighbor they notice a need and they fill that need without being asked it it makes all the difference and part of that, though, is putting ourselves out there and not hiding, which is tough right now in this situation because we're all holed up in our own homes mm-hmm. um, because someone may not know who you are. You know? And we can't expect people to be there for us if we are not out there ourselves, maybe doing something for somebody else. You know, a little bit of service goes a long way. I remember as a kid, mom was always doing stuff for other people around. I grew up in a small town up in Vermont. She was always doing something for other people. And I think that's mom, I think that's where I learned service was from you and going to the old ladies' homes with meals or, you know, going to, to pick up clothing to take to your, um, it wasn't Goodwill. What did you guys call that big sale that you all had? Glad rags. The glad rags. The glad, glad rags. rags. Which was provided by all the gals that I was friendly with. We worked we worked on our program once a year, but it took many months to do that. So we all got together and worked once a week for a long, long, long time. And then all the money that we made, which was many thousands over the years, uh, were provided to the young women in Burlington, Vermont, who unfortunately had either a very difficult marriage and were alone, or there were little girls that had gotten pregnant and were not married. And therefore, we took care of them for many, many years. And they're still today doing it. We started it probably, oh gosh, 40 40 years ago. Hmm. So it it was a very exciting, thrilling, interesting thing for all of us to do. So, well, it was really interesting growing up in a small town. There were 2,500 people when I grew up. Mm-hmm. So everybody knew each other, which is so different than today. I mean, Jenny, you live in an apartment complex. There are how many people? Hundred, hundreds? Yeah, there's 14 buildings and probably uh, 20 apartments in each building or more. So, But, Deb, yeah. we, we did draw from many towns. Uh, even though we had a very small town, it was a lovely town, but we drew, drew from all the towns around and the women came from all over to help us. It was, it was a, a wonderful experience for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just thinking, though, when we grew up, though, everybody knew who we were. I was telling my grandson this morning when I said, you know, I grew up in this small town and everybody knew who Dr. Jack was. They all knew Grandpa. And because they all knew Grandpa as the, the local dentist, they all knew us as kids, which was good and bad, you know, because couldn't couldn't get into any trouble because someone was always watching um but we were always protected and i think a lot of people knew you know after we had our fire uh everybody was there to help you and daddy to do whatever to provide a home to provide food to to do whatever they could which was Absolutely. that may not happen that may not happen in a bigger city you know where where jenny is there there might be some people i i shouldn't minimize that i'm sure there would be but it just seems to me that growing up in a small town like that was, was very good for small, for families. 
It, it, it was an excellent place, lovely people, and um, every, of course, Dad was so busy, and everybody knew him, and he was also president of Rotary, and, you know, he was very much involved, and I was very much involved, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with the local uh, rec center, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I did teaching there, and I taught swimming and that type of thing. So we, we spread out our, our few things that we could do well, and uh, met many, many people. So everybody came to our rescue when we had a terrible fire in our home. Mm-hmm. And I've written about that fire, and that was, that was the one thing that changed my life about thinking about stuff. And Seth and I were having this discussion, or a little conversation, uh, about Christmas, and Christmas is here, and this morning is like, yeah, one more day till all the presents can be opened. And, and we've talked about presents and how... It's more important to have the families together than the stuff. Because in the fire, we learned that you lose stuff. But we didn't lose anybody. Right, Mom? We lost your kitty cat. That was all. We had two beautiful dogs that hugged our the basement of our, of our house until the wonderful neighbors came and took them for several days. But it, it was an experience you wouldn't wish anybody to have. Mm-hmm. But... Even today, stuff is not important, and I'm trying to make all of us realize that, you know, to have each other is the most important thing in life. And the stuff, if we, if we don't have it, so what? Mm-hmm. We don't need it. So we're, we're, we're very fortunate to have the wonderful kids that we have and, and uh, their children, and we feel very proud of everybody, and we're very happy to be in our new home. And we're very happy that you're there. Thank you. And we're going to get rid of some of this stuff <laughs> as we organize the house. But we're Jenny, getting rid of day in, day, day in and day out. Thank you, my dear. <laughs> really. Jen, how do you deal with the, with the children? And, and, you know, today is the, this world is full of stuff. And kids, people want more and more and more. They think it brings them more happiness. How do you deal with no. the kids when they want more stuff? <laughs> um that's it's a hard battle because when they go over to their dad's house they have lots of stuff they have all the ipads and games all the time and whatever they pretty much want there and i am the type of parent where i want them to use their imagination i want them to have downtime and be bored there's so many times where seth and i'm like i'm bored i'm like okay cool what are you gonna do with it um And so I just know where I stand and what my priorities are and what I want for them. I want them to realize that they don't need things to be happy, that it takes only the little little things to really be happy, where it's having time together as a family. So I try to set aside time where we can go out and explore, um, because I like being out in nature. Dallas really doesn't have much, but... We make do with what we have. So going on little walks or nature hikes or anything like that and walking along the lake. Um, we also enjoy playing games together as a family. Seth can play a mean game of sorry. <laughs> and um, Ella really enjoys playing a game called Spot It. So just finding different ways we can connect as a family and building those relationships. And so and that's what I teach Seth and Ella when it comes to things if it's not easy to do as a family right now, we're really not going to do it. And it's not a necessity at this moment. Like Seth will be like, Mom, when I'm 15, I can get a phone. Like, that's interesting you say that. (laughs) Why is that? And he's like, well, because I'll be 15. I'm like, doesn't mean you're going to get a phone. And so just teaching the different things of like, yeah, these things are fun. Like the kids for Christmas, I, I have a new job this year and I was fortunate to get during the pandemic. And I was able to splurge a little bit on buying a Nintendo Switch. And that was hard for me because I had a really um, sour taste in my mouth about video games growing up because my brothers pushed me away when it came to video games. I was never really allowed to play with them, and and I felt excluded. I didn't like video games. Um, And so I never really had them and always had a negative feeling towards them. But I want to change that because I know technology and everything is kind of, it's a lot bigger. 
And so being able to teach my kids in a way to use games and technology and stuff like that in a healthier way that feels that helps us build connections is what's important. So being able to find games we can all do together as a family that are fun and safe and everything like that. So I guess it's just finding a balance. And if the kids don't like my answer, I'm like, well, I'm your mom. That's someone else's parent. Their rules and what they want for their kids is different than what I want for you. And when you're an adult, you get to make your own decisions. But for now, I'm your mom. These are the reasons. I explain my reasons. It's not like I told you so or this is how it's going to be. It's like here is why I'm doing this. Um, And if you don't like it, tough cookies. When you get older, you'll be able to have your own job and own money and time to get things at all that you want. But for now, this is what's important. And so just keeping my end goal in mind and explaining it to the kids. Well, it's interesting because the boys, your brothers, really didn't have video games growing up, and they, they'll tease you that we only watched 212, two or what is it? 226 two, two and 26. 26 and 26, it was PBS. You guys watch PBS all the time. Um, and then they, had, they got their first uh, gaming thing when they could buy it. So they yeah, were probably, paid for. They were probably paid teenagers. For. You helped pay for it. And then they paid me back, so I couldn't play it anymore. <laughs> hey, entrepreneurs. <laughs> I guess. But I it wasn't nice. I, but... I helped them buy it, and then they paid me back within like a month or two. They're like, yep, you don't own it anymore. You can't play. And so from then on, it really sucked, and I felt like it pushed <laughs> oh. me away from the boys. Yeah, and I'm sorry. put a sour taste in my mouth about video games. Well, and you, you actually didn't have even TV at the house with the kids. So how has this um, pandemic changed how you have technology in the house? Because kids are on, they were in school on video, right, originally? Uh, yeah, I mean, Seth was on uh, e-learning for the first three weeks. And that was, I mean, Seth is really self-sufficient, but kids being in front of a screen is a lot different than working with things with their hands. So like my background is in education and yes, tech is a big part of today's society, but young kids learn more and it's better for their development if they're able to interact with other kids, touch different things like when it comes to science and being able to use their hands to manipulate different mediums. So even with math, if they have blocks to use, the connections that they build in their brain are stronger than if they're just watching a screen. So like even when Seth was home with me the other day for school, he maybe watched one show the whole time I was working. And he did his schoolwork, and then he's like, Mom, what can I do? I'm like, plenty. You have toys in your room, you have pencils and paper, and you have books. And so I'm like, do with what you want. And at first he was like, I'm bored, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool. What are you going to do with it? And he ended up creating his own drum out of random materials we had in the house. He got tape. He found an old canister and some cups and pencils and popsicle sticks. And he created his own drum that he was so proud of. So it's, Yeah, like, I mean, we've been able to do just fine. The kids don't really need it. It's hard. And I know parents will be like, but they bug me. And I'm like, oh, no, I get it. Um, But being able to give them that space to be bored and just use their imagination. um, Well, he he cracked me up when he uh, actually, I love the technology when he can say, hey, Siri, call Grandma. And he actually calls me and then Ella goes, can we FaceTime you? And I, I love that part because it keeps the connection going. But Seth showed me he, that he made a ukulele, mm-hmm. and because you have a you have a little ukulele, a real one, and he made one out of cardboard and and string, and said that he couldn't get it to play. But we decided to get a hold of Alexa and have Alexa come on with Grandma got run over by a reindeer, and I said, Seth, you guys practice that song, and when you come to visit me, you can sing it. And he thought that was hysterical, but. I was so pleased to see his mind and how he put that little ukulele together out of crafts. So, I think it was like a stick we found outside and paper and tape and some random string. Yeah, but that's clever. And, and I think a lot of parents that we're using, and, and right now we've got the kids watching The Grinch so that we can do our work. Um, so we use it sometimes as a babysitter, and, and it's, it's easy. 
but there, what kind of things are out there, Jen, that, you know, that we can maybe suggest to parents that, or grandparents, a lot of the listeners might be grandparents, what can we send to the kids? It's not toys. What things can we send to get their imagination really moving? I mean, they really don't need a lot. Um, like Seth and Ella, when we get a package from Amazon and it's a big box, they're thrilled. They'll just go at it with scissors and markers and crayons and everything like that. But I think it's really, so I guess if grandparents aren't nearby, because I would say if you're able to be near your grandchildren or children in general, just give them your time. Ask them what they want to do. And for the most part, I know Seth will be like, Mom, can you sit and play with me? Can you sit and play Legos? So giving them things that will help them be creative. Um, I know for kids that like to play dress-up or have really great imaginations, my friend Tara actually made these silk scarves. She dyed scarves, and her kids use them for whatever they want. Like they will be princesses one moment or they'll be pirates the next and conquering the world. Um, And they use those scarves as a way to change their identity and play. And, I mean, my kids love playing with Legos or magnet blocks, and they love coloring pencils and blank pieces of paper. Um, I think just finding ways for them to be creative in what they're interested in. And it's kind of like, Mom, how you sent Lucas and Liana the box for... Uh, the recipes every month. Like that's something that they're trying something new and that's going to help them build skills later on. But just honestly quality time with kids and finding ways for them to be creative. They don't need a lot of things. They just need a few quality things. So that's well, we found too because uh, we, you know families don't live near each other like the other kids are in Hawaii right now. And so I sent them that. It's called Radish, or R-A-D-D-I-S-H, and it's, it's a cooking program. So every month, it's a subscription. Every month, the kids get a new recipe from a new country. Uh, it's kind of like little passports where we sent this. Every month, they would get a little box that had, like, Egypt in one month. And, and I did that because one of our friends, Bobby, is over in Egypt, and I wanted the kids to see what's in Egypt. Um, and so it's educational, but it's fun because they get to – use their hands to build something out of it. Um, a friend of mine at Women's Prosperity Network, Linda Fostek, just did a science um, subscription. And she'd, she'd grown up her dad, I think her dad was an engineer, but she loves science. And so she's got a monthly science thing that gets sent to the kids. And it's small. We think it's small, but it's something that the kids get in the mail every month. And it's exciting because it reminds them, like the Radish program actually was from mom and dad to the kids. So even though they've never seen, well, they've seen one of the kids, but haven't spent a lot of time with our Hawaiian grandchildren, um, they at least know every month something comes from Mimi and Pop or Grammy and Grampy, you know, and that's exciting because then you can put pictures on a frame and say, this is who they're from. Try to keep those connections going. Um, which can be very difficult when we're when we're socially distanced from our families. Um, and I'm really grateful, Jen, that you know you you make the contact with me regularly. You know we're talking daily, and the kids are calling us. And when they call mom and dad, Grammy and Grampy, or Mimi and Pop, as they call them, um, that Mimi and Pop, there's no stranger danger when they walk in the house with us because they know who we are. And mom, how does that make you feel when the kids come and you haven't seen them in person in a year, but they run in and they know who you are? How does that make you feel? We are thrilled to pieces because we don't see them that often. We we try to talk to them or FaceTime with them as often as we can. But I just wanted to mention that Jen has a, does things in her apartment. Our life in Vermont was exactly the opposite. We lived in the country, and when the kids were little, we were building a home. Uh, in Woodstock, Vermont, and we had boxes of all kinds, little ones, large ones, and when they had large ones, the kids would be out in the woods with boxes, either building a fort or building a house or maybe even taking the, the boxes and getting in them and sliding down the hill. So our life was more outside because we lived in the country. So it was very different, but they learned with every experience. Mm-hmm. We also learned to take jackknives and play chicken. 
<laughs> and I, to be very honest, I had no idea about that. But we had lots of we had lots of woods, and the kids had places in the woods where they'd call their what do they call their their. Well, they had boys had forts. They had forts, and they would build and you know they'd build out there. They do all kinds of things. We lived on an area where we had our home in, in woods, and then the next home was several acres over. And those kids would come and meet them in the woods. So they had all kinds of experiences learning whatever it was and then when the kids bradley our retired colonel he keeps telling me mother you made me go to work when i was 13 well little kids could go downtown and friends would say hey will the kids come in and uh sweep my walk or will they come in and run the vacuum and i said of course they can they're capable they do it at home so our you know our life was so different well we and we didn't worry about back then uh, you know, the kids on a bicycle riding six miles. You know, we'd ride to the to play tennis, or we'd ride to to go to summer school. We we'd be all over the place again because people knew who we were. Now, today, I'm not sure I would let Seth and Ella no, ride their that, bike that, out of the apartment would, building. That would not be allowed today. Yeah, the kids the kids would have to get on buses to go to school. The kids we would either go go pick them up, or if they were going to scouts or they were going to the rec center for certain projects, uh, we would take them. But that would not. Our life was so different then than it is today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was different. Of course, we we went uphill in the snow, both ways to school, right? <laughs> We lived, we lived in an area where we could get two feet of snow or at times snow was all the way up to the top of the, the light post in front of our house. That's the way we lived for six months of, out of the year. But yeah. it was a wonderful, wonderful life, and they loved it. Uh, right now we're very happy to be in Florida, and we watch the news and uh, see how much snow we got in Vermont. But we're very happy to be here. Yeah. But I know, Jen, when I was visiting you last summer and I took the kids out to the parking lot to ride their bikes, Part of me was very cautious about letting Seth ride around, you know, the pool area or back around the complex where I couldn't see him. You know, it's different than like when you guys, when we, when you grew up here in Florida, I'd open the door and you'd be out. You guys would be in the neighborhood. I wouldn't worry about you. How is it as a mom now with, you know, letting the kids do stuff when you can't see them? I think it's realizing that it's it's our mind view of why we have that fear now. Because there's been studies shown that it's really not that much different than it was back when you grew up when it comes to the fear factor of like stranger danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's just calming my own nerves about it and trusting that Seth will will be okay because I've taught him certain things where not all strangers are bad. Because mm-hmm. um, I talk to strangers on the daily, and most of them are actually pretty nice. And so, whether it's on the phone, I'm talking to someone, or if I'm going grocery shopping, more likely than not, you're going to run into someone who's kind and not out to get you. Um, and so, just realizing that as long as I teach my kids to be safe, then I need to kind of loosen that grip on them so that they can learn and have those experiences. Now, it is hard because we don't really have that sense of community like you did growing up. And so slowly just trying to build that base. But it's hard, like, in a pandemic this year has just been a crapshoot. But I'm hoping once things start to normalize a little bit when it's kind of safer to be around people again, that we can build that community where I don't feel as as nervous. Um, And honestly, it's just, trusting that they'll learn from their experiences and be okay. So, and part of it's a hard bit to, at a time. Yeah, it's hard today. I mean, even going to the grocery store, you can't see people because of the masks. You know, at least you could read their faces when you're out there without the mask. Um, but now you can see somebody smiling because you can see it in their eyes. But mm-hmm. we don't know who people are. I mean, we, I can go to the grocery store and, you know, not get as dressed up or as put makeup on or whatever because I know I'm hiding behind a mask. Well, there's the woman behind the smile. Um, we didn't used to be able to do that before. It's a, just different. And the kids are growing up with masks. How do you think that's going to affect them? Um, I don't know, actually. Um, I mean, Seth and Ella have done great with wearing masks and 
it was funny. Seth went to a friend's house once, and he was like, Mom, it was really weird to see him without his mask on for longer than, like, <laughs> 10 minutes. Um, so he has a face. Yeah, he's like, he has a face. Um, I think it does kind of impede on their ability to recognize emotions or I guess understand people's how they're expressing themselves. But honestly, mm-hmm. I think them growing up with masks right now shows compassion for other people. They're learning about this pandemic and why it's happening and why it's so easy to wear a mask to keep yourself and others safe. And so, I mean, that's one way to look at it. But I honestly, it really hasn't phased them at all. I mean, the most that I hear from complaints is it hurts my ears. Um, but no, there really hasn't been that big of a shift. But I think overall it's teaching them like, hey, this is something really small I can do that can possibly help other people. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because their masks are in the stockings this year. You know, really creative. Yeah, that is really funny. <laughs> creative masks. Who would have thought? And mom, you, you know, you've kind of had to change your socializing because you're, you're a very social person prior to this. How is that affecting? How's that affecting you? Not being able to, you know, get to the pool or to get to your girlfriends. How's that affecting you personally? Well, really, uh, the way we live, we have a circle here, and there are 16 villas, and uh, half of the people who own the villas are in Canada, and unfortunately, we they cannot come out of Canada, so they have not been here. So we are in a little circle of about six houses, and they're mostly elderly, older people. A couple younger ones, but we sort of take care of each other. Um, I, I take food to a lot of people. Um, we get together on a weekly basis. Uh, sit six. We try to be six feet apart. Uh, we sit at the at the pool and we talk about what's going on in the community and who needs what, and we try to help them in any way we can. And uh, as Debbie said, I was a helper, and I in my in my old olden years, I'm still helping people with whatever they need so that if it's to go to the store, if it's to help them out in the house or whatever. It's been very easy to live with just about six houses, uh, six, people, six groups. Uh, so when we go off the little area that we're living in, then, of course, we use our masks and all that. And unfortunately, we can't go to church. Unfortunately, I... Uh, the only thing I really love doing is that I love to garden. And around my little villa, I have started gardens. And would you believe we're even growing bananas? <laughs> now, nobody, nobody in this area would think about growing bananas, but we grew bananas and we passed them out to everybody. And uh, girlfriends of mine that I met through swimming uh, passed them out there. So our life is a little bit different than most people because we live in such a very small area and very interesting people, artists and and, uh, people in the service because, of course, we are a military family. Uh, We've been very fortunate living right here. Debbie happened to find this lovely little area called Atlantis in Florida. And uh, so we've been, we really have been very fortunate to be able to see a few people. And of course, dad has not been that great that, that well, and I haven't in the last year. So uh, we pretty much have stayed together and, and have joined, each, as we have always done, we've always enjoyed each other, and uh, we do do things together. So that's- well, I'm grateful for that. And I have, I have one last thing we want to talk about. I uh, was able to participate as an author in a book called uh, the Pay It Forward series, Notes to My Younger Self. And so I'd like for you guys uh, each to think of one thing that if you could write to yourself uh, today, write back to yourself as a 15 or 16-year-old, what would you say to yourself? So I'm going to start with Jenny. Jenny, what would you say to yourself if you were writing back to your teenage self? What would be important? Boundaries. Learn boundaries. It would be learn your boundaries and stick to them. So that's something that I'm working on now. And it's hard, but being able to know who you are and what's okay and not okay and being able to express that in a way that is kind but firm. So being able to set those boundaries and stick to them. Okay, very good. Had to learn that myself, so that's a process. Mom, how about you? What would you write to yourself as a, young, as a younger woman? Well, I, I'd have to think about that because I was a very happy, happy girl, um, I was involved in a lot of things that took care of people. Uh, I guess that's 
my little expertise that I have in my life. Um, I was very busy in, in high school with all kinds of com- committees and stuff to help people. Um, I had my little ladies that I would go to uh, and uh, take them to the store or uh, learn all kinds of wonderful things that they would pass on to me. I was a mom that was very much on scene. Uh, I didn't go to work until everybody, everybody was in school. And so um, I lived a, a very li- lovely life in a very small town. Um, well, I beg to differ that you didn't go to work because you worked really hard through the whole thing. And I, I think work, uh, stay-at-home moms don't give themselves enough credit because they, uh, I've, I've done that and I've also been out to work in, in, you know, out in the world. And it's very difficult and uh, very rewarding, but sometimes you don't know the rewards until you get a hug from your child. But, Mom, one thing that I remember you telling me that you've held on to all these years is, and some regret is that you didn't finish college and dad told you you didn't have to because you didn't, you didn't as a wife of a dentist you, you didn't need it but why has that stuck with you all these years that that's well, the one thing you didn't I, do I, I wanted to finish school and uh, but <laughs> I was going with your dad uh, in a senior year, and so I went to junior college, and I excelled at junior college, and uh, when I finished, we wanted to get married, and the only way we could do that is if I went to work because I wanted him to finish graduate school, so that was my one sadness in life, but I've had so much enjoyment in watching all my kids go to college, I have loads and loads of my friends. Most of my friends finished school, but here I was, uh, be- became a bride, and uh, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Your father is a wonderful man, and he provided for us all the time. So as an 86-year-old writing back to a 20-year-old, though, would you say, Gwen, finish school? Right now, if I, if I could do it over, of course I would. Of course yeah. I would. But Which is interesting. Dad says it depends on what school I'd go to. Oh, Dad. <laughs> Dad's in the background. He's, he's sitting right here. It's interesting, though, because I remember you saying that all my growing up years. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I, I was able to go off and finish and go to college and, and do some work afterwards. But when Jenny came to me and wanted to get married, she was young. And I recall the first thing I told to her husband, as my friends would call him now, is that she has got to finish school mm-hmm. before. You and know? my response was, duh. Well, absolutely. <laughs> but that was something, the only thing I told him, is that from my point of view, Jenny had to finish school. And Jen Jen, I'm really grateful that you did because it positions you now in a better place than if you hadn't. Don't you agree? Well, Deb, uh, yeah. I probably was not encouraged to do that. My dad did not have a college education. His father was a minister and uh, lived on a farm. And my dad was the first in his whole family that went to New York to get a job uh, at a very young age. And it turned out that he was president of his own company. So I think that that's the reason I wasn't encouraged by my mother and father, Mm -hmm. like you certainly would be. Well, and Grandpa was very successful and, and, you know, there are there are places, and I'm not saying that a college degree is, is the, right. the the one all for everybody, because you know I've got one son who hasn't gotten it, and and or actually two, but they're very successful, and so it's not. But for me, as a as I'm looking at it as a single mom, and this is after Lou had died too, um, oh. I was I was looking at Jen, thinking, you know what, it would be really important that she have that in Absolutely. the event. Because I knew after Lou died, I could continue on with my work and everything else because of the experiences I had and the education I had. For me, it was really important, and that was because in the back of my mind, I always knew that you wished that you had done it. I also think we shouldn't encourage girls to get an education as a backup option. No, it's, no it should be primary. In case this happens heaven forbid, like your spouse dies or you get divorced or whatever. I think if girls want to go after education, do it. Like, yeah. well, I was, 
Jen, I was very lucky because I got a job at Atlantic Refining, and I was in personnel. So there was a, lots of opportunity for me uh, at Atlantic Refining to excel if I wanted to. Uh, but after a couple of years married, we, we wanted to start a family. So you, you were very fortunate that you had your college education, really. It's not as a backup, Jen. It's more as um, life experience. I mean, education, however you get it, is an experience. And Absolutely. it's important. And it, it, if, it's, if it's not going to school, it's learning. It's continually learning. That's, I think, the point, don't you? Yes, absolutely. I we had I had the Girl Scouts. Dad had the Cub Scouts. We were active in church. We had a, we had a lot of learning experiences, and uh, we're still learning at our old age today. Hard wow. to stop. You guys have become the YouTube king and queen of the world. You have traveled the world, and that's something new. That was really fun because we had to come up with something that would keep you and Daddy engaged during this social isolation. And so YouTube, traveling the world on YouTube has been extraordinary because every time I come over, you've been to Switzerland, you've been to New Zealand, you've been to all the places that you traveled in person, but now are limited physically in being able to do that. But mentally, I mean, it cracked me up the other day when we, the kids were having quiet time, quote unquote, and I come back to the house and they're dancing to the steel bands in Jamaica with dad. <laughs> I would suggest to all elderly people, whether they're 65, 85, or 105, I would suggest to them to watch YouTube in the evening. It's a real, it's a real college. It's a learning experience, and we have done that almost every night from about 7 till 10 o'clock. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, Jen, Jen, final words. What would you like to say to my audience about being a woman in today's world? Remember who you are and fight for it. Meaning? Meaning just remember what your worth is. There's lots of women who don't see their value or worth, um, whether it's at home or in society or anything like that. Just really think about who you are and what you deserve out of life and go for it. Go for it. Set those boundaries. And don't let the naysayers hold you back. Absolutely. Just go for it. Well, I thank you, too, for being part of my life. And now now it's going to choke me up. Um, And I am choked up. I was waiting for Mom to choke up first uh, because (laughs) I I value my family. I value the women in my life, and there are many on the show today, that have encouraged me to move forward, to stand up, to speak up, to be a woman of value, to be um, a woman of experience, to know my boundaries. Uh, I'm working on those too, Jenny. Um, To control how I react to things and realize that I can't control anybody else. And that's the value of having good people around us. And we all have things that happen in our lives that are crappy, that we wish didn't happen. But in the eternal perspective, they might have happened for our benefit. And it's a matter of finding the good out of the bad. And go ahead, Mom. I've always said out of all bad comes a lot of good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's important. And that stuff is important. So we're going to wrap up this Christmas Eve Day show with Stand Up and Speak Up by thanking you all for being here. And we are, in, we are dedicated to encouraging you to remove that mask of embarrassment and to always being your best self. Now, for the women out there that have been victim to a scam or cybercrime or any sort of distress, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about your options and recovery. I'm on the board of directors at SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, which is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based here in Miami. We support those victims worldwide. And if you'd like to make a small donation, you can do so on our website. But this episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, which is the company that I run, a vitamin supplement company that Dr. Jack helps me with, and it supports those people with healthy, uh, supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those people with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know who know struggles with those pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfotemine products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. In the meantime, folks, Go to my website, thewomenbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources. We're there to help you. We're there to encourage you. 
where they are to be with you, especially during this holiday season when you might not be able to be with your families. Give them a call. Give a friend a call and let them know you're thinking about them. Let them know that you love them, that you miss them, you wish them happy and healthy and a safe life, especially going into 2021. To keep positive and realize that, you know, this is happening for a reason. We just got to find the reason. And uh, we're here to support one another as best we can. So thank you, Gwendolyn Kennedy Butts. Thank you, Jennifer Marie Montgomery Brand, and all of our listeners today for a wonderful stand up and speak up. We wish you happy holidays and big hugs going to you from South Florida and beyond. Thanks, everybody. I'm going to sign off for now, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>